Um, I'm a little confused as to why the pulpit is back. Is this because I wore a tie? Orville, did you bring this pulpit back? Has, has James been using the pulpit? These women in the back row, they brought it back. Oh, and also Bob brought it back. Oh, you just want to put money in the jar. That's uh, good to have the pulpit here. Good job, guy. You know, for a number of years, I have been uh, taking pictures, photographs of things that are abandoned. I, I've been kind of um, interested in the stuff that people throw away. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that people throw away. It's captured my imagination. And then um, I, I started painting pictures of some of the things that people throw away. And I, I'm going to share this with you because two weeks ago, my great-grandson was staying at our house overnight, and he said to me, in dead seriousness, Gigi Pop, what do you do when you're old and don't work? I paint paintings. This is abandoned. A railroad engine outside Albuquerque, New Mexico. Keep them going. Go ahead. This is abandoned. Up on the Palouse, a yellow truck. This is abandoned. Billings, Montana, a flower a place where you keep it, you're used to. This is abandoned. Just off division on Nora, somebody's garage. I took a picture of it and painted it. This is abandoned. A Newman Lake farmhouse. And, a, and what's left? This is abandoned in Superior, Montana. This is a silver mine processing plant. Nobody's there anymore. This is abandoned in Flathead, Montana. My next door neighbor showed me this truck, this car. He loved it. I painted it for him. This is abandoned outside Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Nobody lives there anymore. This is abandoned down in Walla Walla, Washington. That's Mr. Pickles. I'm good. You've been there. Very good. All right. He actually has been recovered. This is abandoned on Route 66 in Arizona. Okay. All these abandoned. I don't really care about this abandoned stuff. But it's really bothering me how many people feel like they've been abandoned. We have some dear friends. They're almost family to us. They were refugees in Hungary when we were living there. Uh, they came to Christ, and they are now living and ministering to gypsy people along the coast, along the border between Hungary and Serbia. And in the last month or so, they have made a move from Budapest down to a town called Petch. You never have to worry about how you spell it or where it is, but it's right on the border of Serbia and Hungary. And they wrote a little note to us, and they said, this is amazing to us because there are a lot of refugees here in, in Petch. And uh, they're suffering, and, and we have a, a real outreach to these refugees, in addition to the gypsy people that we minister to. And they got to go into the hospital, and they couldn't believe how many people felt hopeless. There was no hope. They felt like they'd been abandoned. There was nothing for them, a sad, hopeless situation. Now, what you think about that? I'm sure most of us here this morning don't feel hopeless or that we have been abandoned. But let's just play pretend for a while. Many of you have seen these pictures of Aleppo. How would you like to have lived there when all this took place? How would you like to have lost everything? Lost everything, been forced to, to leave and just go somewhere? And many people have ended up in these kinds of tent villages, this one in Turkey, 
there at least some place to live. There is a sense of hopelessness there. But Voice of the Martyrs in November of last year had a little article about a family that's living in that refugee camp. They're Christians. They can't practice their Christianity openly. They've been there for two years. They have been refused at the little store that's there for they won't sell them anything because they know they're Christians. Their eight-year-old son has been beat up when he moves anywhere away from the tent. And they can't practice it openly, but they have a second tent right next to theirs. And it's kind of a little church, and they'll talk to anybody about faith in Jesus Christ. How would you feel? Would you feel abandoned by God, or would you be able to handle this? Here's another story. I don't know how many of you know or have heard of Keith Green. Anybody ever heard of Keith Green? Few of you have. Okay, good. You older people have. I don't know if you know his story, but I thought I'd share it with you. It's a great story. Keith Green was born in 1953, California. He was a child prodigy. At three, he was playing the ukulele. At five, he moved up to the guitar. At eight, he went to the piano. At ten, he was declared by everyone, child prodigy, greatest musician of the century coming up. At age 11, he was the youngest inductee to ASCAP, the Association of, of Musicians. By the time he was 12, he had composed 50 songs. Amazing, amazing young man. Jew, grew up Jewish, got himself into drugs in California, got himself into Eastern mysticism, kind of wandered away. When he was 19 years old, he met someone that he would marry. Her name was Melody. She was Jewish too. And together they came to faith in Jesus Christ. So much so that they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they started opening their home in California to anybody that would like to stay with them. And they brought in bikers and they brought in homeless and they brought in gals with babies that didn't have husbands or any idea who the husband was. They didn't care who came to live with them. And pretty soon it expanded from their house to three houses on the block. And eventually they had 75 people like this, the dregs of society living with them. And all they could do is just share Jesus with them and how much Jesus loved them. They were just literally on fire for Jesus. In 1979, they had an opportunity to buy 40 acres of land, a ranch in East Texas. That's where I ran into Keith Green because I was living in East Texas during those years. Somebody said, we should go to a Keith Green concert. It's free, doesn't charge. So we made our way to Longview, Texas, about 30 miles from where we were living to Laterno College. And we got there early because people said it's going to be so full, you better get there real early. So we were there real early and it filled up long before it was time for the concert. And about 15 minutes before it was time for the concert, this, this kid walks out on the stage, sits down at a piano. Nobody knew who he was. And he starts to play. Well, he was, he was marvelous, and we thought he was kind of the warm-up act. 
You know, they said, obviously nobody introduced them, so we don't know. Everybody's sitting there. There were hundreds of people in this audience, and he's playing away. And then he started to sing, and as soon as he started to sing, people recognized because he'd made albums and records, and people knew who he was, and people started applauding, and he stopped the whole thing dead. He looked around the audience, and he said, we don't applaud here. I'm only doing this for one person. That's God. There's no need for you to applaud me. Please, please, please do not applaud. Well, this is not the usual way it goes. We heard more of him as he began to reach out to people on this ranch, touch their lives for Christ. Amazing, amazing ministry, was producing albums. Didn't even want to sell the albums, wanted to give them away. Just bring people to faith in Jesus. In 1982, on July the 28th, Keith Green and two of his children, one two years old, one three years old, got into a twin-engine aircraft that was piloted by a pilot at their ranch. And with them in the aircraft was another family, a couple who had six children with them, 11 people on board. Melody didn't go. She had a one-year-old. She stayed home with them. The airplane took off. They were just going to cruise around and do a little sightseeing. Took off and on the takeoff, crashed. And 11 people died. All of them. It shattered. Shattered the Christian community. He was 29 years old. God, how can you do this? Wouldn't you be shattered? Wouldn't you feel like you were abandoned? Well, it's a funny story because Melody never felt that way. She went on with the ministry. She continued reaching out to people. The whole thing continued not with his gifted talent, but certainly with her enthusiasm. Now it's time to take out that folder that you have and get the outline because I want to go to the Bible and find out what the Bible has to say about being abandoned. Because I sense there are people around this world, in this country, probably in our own neighborhood, who feel abandoned and some sense of hopelessness today. So I'm going to talk to you about that. And I want to start with what Jesus had to say about being abandoned. And I want to start with a very sobering passage of Scripture. And nobody likes this passage of Scripture, but we should read it. It's Matthew 24, verse 9. You ready? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Isn't that a great passage of scripture? It's about a thing called the end and we aren't there yet probably noticed that hasn't ended i don't know when the end is going to come neither does anybody else 
But Jesus said there will be a day when the end will come. And there will be a day before that end comes that things are not going to bode well for Christians. As a matter of fact, there's going to be great difficulties. But the good news is the kingdom will be preached throughout the world. I don't know. We may be a part of the people that live before the end comes. We may not have to go through any of these situations at all. But it seems as though people around the world today could even be picked out as going through these kinds of situations in different places. But I want you to hear what Jesus says after he said that end is coming and before it comes, it's going to be awful and terrible. Matthew 28, verse 20. Behold, says Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm never going to abandon you. There's no need for you to ever feel as though there's no hope. I will be there. Another writer who writes Hebrews, and we're not sure who that writer is, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, sounds like he's interpreting Jesus' words. Listen to what that says. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he, Jesus, said... I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And that gives us hope. Great hope. I love this definition of hope. Confident expectation with the unseen future. Great hope. Never abandon, no matter what. That's what Melody Green had. That's what the family in Aleppo has. That's what multitudes of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today, in history past and living now, and that perhaps will be the experience of many of us before we die confident of the future. Now, the Apostle Paul steps into this discussion about abandonment. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says to us, remember, there was a time when people had no hope. Ephesians 2, 12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Listen to what Paul says. Apart from Jesus, there really is no hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And yet hopelessness today is being experienced across economic, across cultural, across boundaries of countries. There are people who feel hopeless, abandoned, who are without Christ. So hear this clear call, says Paul, Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Because with Christ Jesus in your life, you will never be abandoned. 
no matter what. So I thought it would be interesting to take a look at the Apostle Paul. He's the one that wrote some of these words. Never abandon. He said, we have hope with Christ in us. So I want to look at the reality of hope and what Paul has to say about his own experiences. You ready for this? He starts in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. You've all read this before. You ready? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there was the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches." You want to go back through those? Probably nobody's experiencing this. Let's look at him. He was beaten. Look at the times he was beaten. I doubt any of you are going to be beaten. He was beaten, but you know, there's other kinds of beatings too. There's all kinds of abuse. You might suffer abuse. You might be bullied. Your reputation might be ruined by people lying about you. There's all kinds of beatings. Shipwrecked, he said. I doubt any of you will be shipwrecked, but you could lose everything. Your whole financial portfolio could just collapse. You could lose your health. You could be severely injured. You could go through intense family problems. That'd be like shipwrecked. Constant dangers. Boy, he had quite a list of the dangers he went through. You could have your home robbed. You could have your computer hacked. There are lots of dangers out there. Hardships of all kind. You may end up being overworked and underpaid. You may have to work two jobs. You may not be able to afford medical care. Your children may be very ill. That's what Paul went through. You may be anxious. You may have fears about the future, fears about, fears about failure, fears about, fear about loss of any kind. And you could end up saying, I am without hope and I have been abandoned. And I would, have blamed, I would not have blamed Paul to have said that at all. It can't get any worse than this, Paul. What a miserable life you've gone through. The BBC, and I don't know how true this is, on 12-8-2016 made this statement. I picked it up offline. The suicide rate in America has surged to its highest rate in three decades. Hopeless. Abandoned. You might think that Paul would have cried out, God has abandoned me. But Paul's words are not like that. Paul said, I got this figured out. I frankly, personally, me, think this is the most important statement in the whole New Testament that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Here's what he said. We have this treasure in jars of clay 
Now, it's unfortunate that we don't have very many jars of clay. I looked around our house. We got a lot of stuff made out of clay, but we didn't really have any jars. But I know what he means. He means that's us. We're a jar of clay. Now, jars of clay are very fragile. And I hate to tell you this, but as you get older, there's a tendency to drop things. So I, something for you younger people to look forward to when you get older. And if you pick up a jar of clay, it might slip out of your hand and it might smash and shatter, or it might just crack like this one. Paul said, you know, I want you to understand that I'm just a jar of clay. Just like we're all jars of clay. But we have a treasure inside the jar of clay. So because of that, and we sang about this just a minute ago. This is what Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. Because of that, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but never driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed because we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Because we carry Jesus in us. What would ever take our hope away? The future is certain. There is no concept of abandonment and hopelessness for any one of the clay jars with Jesus inside. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You should read that part again. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, we could just end this here and say that, that's good stuff. Do you ever wonder how Paul got there? Now, we all know about Paul. He uh, was quite a fellow of importance. First of all, he was a Roman citizen. Not very many Jews were Roman citizens. Not only a Roman citizen, there's some indication that he was being coached to be a part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. He was well-educated. Some concepts uh, that he may have even had some family wealth. He was not like the usual person. He was certainly gifted. He was an aggressive teacher. He was the persecutor of all the Christians. You all know who Paul was. You all know the picture of Paul. And on the Damascus road, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, he suddenly sees a blinding light and he's knocked off his horse. And this voice says to him, why are you persecuting me? Paul said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And Paul was radically changed. Kind of radically changed. So much so that Paul said, you want to know what I boast about? I love this passage, 2 Corinthians 11.30. If I must boast, and Paul was in a situation where he was talking with some other people about boasting about how great they were. Paul could have boasted about a lot of things. If I must boast, 
He said, I must boast on the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. At Damascus, under the governor of King Aretas, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped with his hands. Paul said, that is what I boast about. That is the amazing thing that changed me forever. Did you think about that? What is he talking about? You have to go back and read the story of what Paul did after the Damascus Road experience. Luke, the historian, gives us that in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. So I, I want to read the story with you. This is what happened to Paul after the Damascus Road, after he went to Damascus, saw Ananias, had his sight somewhat healed. This is what it says. Immediately. He, Paul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. Can you imagine this? This is the guy that was persecuting the Christians. Immediately, he is in the synagogue telling everybody, Jesus is the Son of God. Wow. And verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed. And they said, isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? In other words, we don't trust him what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus said, Son of God, I'm not sure about that. But Paul went right to work. He's going to tell everybody who Jesus is. Verse 22. Paul increased all the more in strength. And he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He used all of his wisdom training. He used all of his biblical training. He used all of his skill so that he could convince people Jesus was the Christ and was the answer, the Messiah of Israel. Verse 23, And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. You know why? He made a big mess. He was a big mess. He stirred up everybody the wrong way. He made a mess. Verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And Paul said, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. This is the gifted one. This is the energetic one. This is the captivating Paul. This is the one who went to work for Jesus with all his strength. This is the one who was totally enabled by his clay pot himself. And this is when he came to understand it was nothing about him. It was about the unbelievable light and life of Jesus within him that mattered. I want to teach you a new term today. I, I coined this term, but I'm going to let you use it. This is called the Arge effect. I'll tell you about Arge in a minute. 
Arge is an old friend of mine. The Arge effect. When I was 15 years old, I was a counselor at a camp, and they offered a senior life-saving water course. And so I signed up to take this senior life-saving water course. I thought that would be good. And they taught us how to rescue people who were drowning. And we had to practice. And I was amazed at one of these principles. The first principle I had to learn was that most people who are in drowning think they can save themselves. And so they're out there in the water, thrashing all over the place, throwing their arms and shoulders all over the place, jumping like this and going crazy. And so if you go to rescue them, you have to kind of come up behind them. Otherwise, they'll knock you out. You've got to come up behind them and grab your arm around their chest. And, and sometimes they're still thrashing. They're still convinced that somehow they can climb on top of you and save themselves. So the best thing to do is to take them under the water. Then they'll really know they're drowning. Just take them down. Take them down under the water. And they'll a little gag, but they'll quit thrashing around. See, as long as they're dependent on themselves, you're not going to save them you're probably going to drown trying to rescue them. I call that the Arge effect. Arge is Arge Brockles. Arge Brockles grew up in Dallas, Texas. Arge Brockles came from a Greek family. I think his parents owned a Greek restaurant, but I never went to it. And Arge Brockles and I ended up in the same Greek class in seminary. I remember those first couple of weeks. We were going to have four years of Greek ahead, and I dreaded it. Not Arge. He spoke Greek at home. And I remember meeting Arge. He's a great guy. He became a good friend. Arge said, man, this is a, this is a piece of cake. This is a one class. I don't have to prepare for it. I mean, we're trying to learn, what are those funny things? What is that thing? That's an A? Okay. That didn't look like an A to me. What, that's, a, that's a P? Okay. This is an S? Okay. We couldn't even learn what the alphabet was. Arch could even tell you in Greek what the... I'll tell you what these words mean, this and this and that. And that. Arge, he, we were out studying. He was having coffee <laughs> for two weeks. He had everybody beat. But after two weeks, he started having a little trouble. And he would translate something, and the professor would say, uh, no, no, that, that, that's not right. But it is not right. It's not it's right. I, this is my language. I speak it. And the professor had to tell him, Arge, you speak modern Greek. This is written in ancient Koine Greek. It's not the same. Looks the same. Yeah, but you're going to have to get rid of that part that you're so proud of. You've got you to get rid of all that and get this other part. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He struggled and he struggled and he struggled. It was a battle for him. It's common to just want to trust yourself to take care of all this. And Paul said, that was That was me. I don't know about you, but most of us have had family, friends, teachers, coaches who've all said the same thing. Just try harder. Try harder to make everything work. And Paul said, there is a truth to be learned. 
We're just old clay pots. But with Jesus Christ inside, there is a purpose and meaning that God has for us. And it doesn't matter what happens as long as the glory and truth of God shines out of the pot. You'll never be abandoned. And you'll never sense hopelessness. And I think the world is waiting to hear this message. It's a good story. I I like to read it over and over and over again. I've read it numerous times. Good story to keep repeating. In Jesus Christ, we are never abandoned. God made no trash to throw away. In Jesus Christ, we are never without hope. God fills us with himself and reminds us, don't worry about your clay pot. It's just there to hold the magnificent glory of God through Jesus inside of you. Wow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if there was ever a truth the world needs to hear today, it's this simple one, that we're just clay pots. Lord God, if there's anybody in this room who's never come to the place of saying, God, I believe you're there, and I believe that you sent Jesus to do something in my life. I believe he came and he died on a cross somehow for me. And I want to have this kind of a relationship with you through him. And I want him to fill my life. I need to be rescued. Begins with that kind of a decision and choice. And then we learn to live it. Paul said it was the best thing that ever happened to me to learn I couldn't do it. No matter how hard I tried. I'm just a clay pot. But what a thrill to hold inside the glory and preciousness of Christ Jesus as Lord and to share it with the world, knowing I'm never abandoned, never without hope. In Jesus' name, amen.